Uh, dear Heavenly Father, what a day. What a, a beautiful day outside, Lord. Uh, it's it's the, the promise of days like today that gets us through the Januaries and the Februaries of the, in Montana. Uh, and, and Lord, we, we ask today that um, you remind us of your promises. Uh, your promises to be with us. Your promises to lead us and guide us. And uh, Lord, as, as we heard before the, the service started, the, the capital P promise that we sh- those who believe in you shall not taste death. For those saints that have gone before us that are now with you, we, we're, we're so thankful for your promise that they are with you and they are whole. Walk with us now, guide us, lead us, speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this morning uh, we're going to be working out of Galatians. We're gonna, our, chapter, our, our verse is Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, keep in ste- keep, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Here ends the reading of the Word. So, uh, Galatians is a, about a six-chapter book. We're, this is towards the end of chapter five. I would say this is like the punchline of the entire book. Uh, so, instead of reading, we're going to read the punchline first, but then we're going to explain how we got to this place. Uh, so, we're going to work back and provide some of the background on who's Paul writing to and what, what is he writing about. Um, I promise that I will not take longer than 45 minutes. My wife said she's going to give me the, this if it takes longer. So, we're going to do our best. Uh, I think I told her earlier this week, like, I need like five weeks to just like, because there's so much here, just this peel this onion back layer after layer. So, we'll see what we can do and... Uh, a shorter amount of time. So the book of Galatians was written by Paul to the church in Galatia. Galatia is about where modern-day Turkey is right now, um, which is to say that it's not right next to Jerusalem. It's like as far north and east as Paul ever went in his journeys, in his missionary journeys. Uh, So it's not the epicenter of the church. It's kind of like the frontier. It's out there. It was predominantly, because it's not next to Jerusalem, it's predominantly a Gentile community, uh, meaning non-Jews. These were folks who had heard the gospel, and they they weren't coming from a a Jewish perspective. They were Gentiles, pagans, folks that that didn't have that foundational belief that the Jewish church had. Uh, There's some debate about when it was written. One theory is that it was written kind of in the mid-50s A.D. The other theory is that it was written around 50 A.D., um, which would make this book 
Paul's first letter um, that, 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 he, that he ever wrote. The date is important because what you can do with the, the New Testament, if you, look, if you read the book of Acts, which is just the, the who done what when about the early church, uh, and then after that you've got Paul's letters and Peter and John and James. We tend to think about it chronologically, but in reality, you can kind of take each of those books and like slot them into the chapters of Acts, and it adds a whole lot more texture to like what was actually happening, what was, what was the early church experiencing and baiting and, and fighting with each other about as they kind of tr- come to grips with like what, what just happened? What are we doing? Um, what, what was this resurrection business about, and, and how does this early church move moving forward? Uh, in that, there were, about, there, were two, there were a lot of questions they were trying to ask around how the early church needs to work, should work, should function. But there were two kind of core questions that the early church was grappling with that we can see being played out here in Galatians. Uh, the first was, who was this gospel for? Jesus was a Jew. He was raised as a Jew. He, he spoke in the synagogue. Uh, he was crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, uh, appeared to the apostles who were Jewish people, and now they're left to say, left to grapple with, is this gospel just for us, or is this for the world? Is this for Gentiles? So that was the first question. The answer is yes. Uh, the answer is this, is this is for everyone, and that was settled rather early in the church. That's why Paul was in Galatia to begin with, because he was taking the gospel to non-Jewish communities. The second big question, the one that Galatians really centers on, is what about the law? Uh, the law was the 600-plus rites, rituals, restrictions that were put forth by God uh, through the prophets in the Old Testament that made up not just, you know, what we need to do in our daily lives, but for the Jewish people, that was their identity. That This was everything that they did, everything that they worked for, everything that they focused on was how do I obey the law. Uh, it, it made up their society. And this question, was the law nullified uh, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What happens to this thing now? We have this, uh, you know, again, you've got thousands of years worth of forming and reforming and refining the law and everything we do in our society. And then in the span of a few months, Jesus goes to Jerusalem, gets crucified, dies, is raised from the dead, appears to his disciples, ascends into heaven, and it's like an earthquake. Like the centuries worth, thousands of years worth of, of society, societal norms got turned on its head. Now what? Now what do we do with this? As you can imagine, there was some debate about this. There were some flashpoints and some arguing around like, okay, uh, what of our previous life do we get to take with us and what do we do moving forward? And, and probably the, the question, that, the crux of the question that was asked to, uh, that Paul debates in Galatians it's okay, if we're going to let the Gentiles into, our, into this community, if the gospel is for them too, how much of the law do they need to adhere to and maintain once they become Christians? And the big question that's debated in, in Galatians is this idea of circumcision. Uh, should Gentiles, after becoming Christians, in order to be justified, made righteous with Christ, do they need to be circumcised, brought into the fold of the, of the, of the um, Jewish community? Paul had traveled to Galatia and presented this gospel to, to this church almost by accident. There's not much about this, but there's this little nugget in Galatians 4, chapter 13, where Paul says, as you know, it's be, he's speaking to the church in Galatia, as you know, it's because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. 
And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. So we don't know much more about that other than maybe Paul was traveling along, going to where he thought he was going to go, and he got sick. Uh, And the Galatians presumably took care of him, brought him back to health. And because of that, Paul met them, spoke with them, uh, ministered to them, and presented them with the gospel. And because of that, a church took off. A good church. Paul says you were running a good race. You were doing a good thing. Uh, So, you know, God works in mysterious ways, and he worked through Paul and worked through this illness to create this church in Galatia. After Paul presented the gospel to them, church is planted, Paul leaves. Another group comes along uh, that, that tells these Gentile Galatians, uh, congratulations, welcome to the family. Uh, you're, you're part of this Christian church now. Uh, in order for you to stay a member of this church, in order for you to, to be a full member of this church, uh, Men line up. <laughs> You've got to be circumcised. So, and this was a, this was a debate that was happening uh, throughout this early church, and a debate that uh, apparently had some, some, some influence and some pull, this group that was saying, yeah, you, you've got to adhere to the law, you've got to be circumcised. Uh, at one point, again, in Galatians, Paul points out that um, he had to, to chastise Peter, uh, the Peter, for being influenced by this group. In Galatians 2, 11, he says, when Cephas, Peter, this is Paul speaking to the church, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. He used to fellowship with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, uh, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So the point of this is this this starts to add some texture to like what's happening in the early church. You've got debate among Paul and Peter, like the, the, the rocks of the church about what do we do with this? How do we maintain, you know, what does the gospel mean for us in our daily lives? Uh, The apostles are wrestling with this. There's there's factions, there's parties, there's a spectrum of folks that are trying to figure out, like, okay, what what now? Ultimately, this question was put to rest in A.D. 52 at the Council of Jerusalem. You can read about that in Acts chapter 15, where all the who's who's of the early church come together in Jerusalem and say, all right, this is enough. We've got to come to a decision. Uh, and they decide that Gentiles do not have to be circumcised and do not have to follow the Jewish law in order to be Christians. Uh, they believe in justifi- justification of faith, that belief in Jesus Christ is all that's needed in order to be a member of God's family. Um, part of the reason that I think that Galatians was probably written early in AD 50 was because Paul's not writing this like he thinks this argument's been put to rest. Like, he's, he's pissed. Uh, he's fired up throughout this entire book, and you can tell that this battle is really kind of at its peak, uh, and is probably, which tells me that it, it's, it probably took place before everyone came together and said, all right, let's settle this once and for all. Uh, Paul, you can tell Paul is, is pretty angry reading this. Um, at one point, he says, uh, if, if an angel came down and, give, and presented another gospel, I would oppose that angel. Like, I'm, standing, I'm standing firm on this. It doesn't matter who's going to tell me something else. 
This is what I believe, that we are justified by faith alone. He also, he also says, um, who, who presented this gospel to you, this other gospel? Like, I want names. Like, give me who did this. I want to know who it was. Uh, at the end of the book, he says, it, it's believed that, you know, as Paul's writing his, writing his letters, he's actually just speaking it, and they're being transcribed by someone else. But in chapter 6, it says, see what large print I write this. You can almost see Paul, like, elbow the transcriber and, like, grab the pen and, like, start, start type writing himself. And then right before the verse that we read today, he says, you know, we're talking about circumcision. I hope that the people that actually presented this to you just go and emasculate themselves and do the whole thing. Like, he's fired up. Uh, because uh, this is the essential, this is the foundation to the Christian faith. Um, why did Christ come? What did it mean? And what do we do with that? Are we justified by our belief in Jesus Christ? Or is there something else that we have to do in order to be made righteous before him? So the first like five chapters of the book are about uh, Paul laying out a very compelling and complex case for justification by faith. By pulling from Old Testament scriptures and and all the previous covenants and the law that, that, were, that was laid out uh, before he gets to this place. He spends the first chapter simply laying out like his, his bona fides, like his resume for why he is even, uh, should be in a place to present this gospel to the church in Galatia. Which probably tells me that the folks who were opposing him were saying, yeah, you believe that Paul guy? Like, he didn't even, he wasn't even with Jesus. Like, you, you know what he was doing when Jesus was around? Like, he was, he was uh, persecuting this church. So you can see that there's this argument around like, yeah, you shouldn't trust Paul, you should trust us instead. To which Paul says, I got this gospel from Jesus, the, the ascended Jesus. Uh, I, pre I preached this gospel to the Gentiles for years with, before I met a single apostle. And then I met the apostles, and you know what? Our stories matched. Our gospel matched. That's pretty cool. So that, he spends the first chapter laying out that case, and then he leads into this case for how are we justified by faith? How are we justified by faith apart from the works of the law that were uh, presented by this group called the Judaizers that wanted to make the church more Judaic and, and more Jewish? He leads with uh, this, this beautiful passage where he talks about that um, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's original promise to the Jewish people made to Abraham. Uh, he says that... that he harkens back and he says that um, Abraham was Abraham and his offspring or seed were made righteous uh, by believing in God's promise, not by the law, but by belief in God's promise. So Abraham himself was made justified by faith, not by works. And he says uh, he plays a little bit of like grammatical jujitsu here, where he says it says Abraham and his offspring, or Abraham and his seed, and that's singular. So Abraham and his descendant, single descendant, will, uh, will fulfill this promise. That descendant is Jesus. Therefore, Abraham believed in Jesus, even though he didn't know who Jesus was or the circumstances, but he believed in the promise that God had. And that same promise that, uh, that God gave to Abraham is the same promise that was fulfilled when Jesus came, died, uh, and was resurrected from the dead. And all that happened about 500 years before the first law, Jewish law, was ever given. So that, this promise 
being a child of the promise that predates um, having to be, uphold the law to make ourselves righteous before God. So, what about the law then? This is where Paul then makes a case for what the law was and what the law is intended to do. And he says that the law acts as a guardian. The law acts as a trustee, a guide, a coach. Um, it leads us. It, it, it guides us. It shepherds us. And he also says it's, it's like a slave master. We are a slave and the law is, is the master, which in, in you know, this, this context is probably less than what when we think about with slave-master relationships. Slavery was a common aspect of life in, in this time period. And um, so this is probably more akin to like employer-employee, um, that we have to listen to what the boss says, but it's not quite as oppressive as, you know, slave-master. So Paul says God made a promise to his people through Abraham, a covenant. Um, and that covenant remains true until that, co- that promise is fulfilled, and it's fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So you have Abraham, and you have the coming of Christ, and you've got thousands of years in the, in the interim. In the interim, because of us, because of our human nature, because of our transgressions, um, we need a little bit of extra to keep us on the path. We need a guide. We need a coach. We need a trustee, a guardian, to keep us um, in a place where we adhere to God's laws adhere to the character of God until that promise is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.19 says, Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, offspring, Jesus, to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given because we're people um, and we screw up and we needed guidance uh, to get us to the point to where Jesus would come and fulfill that promise. So what was the law intended to do? Uh, The law constrains behavior. It boxes us in. It keeps our fallen nature, our sin nature, in check. Uh, The law does not justify us before God. Um, The law, God's promise justifies us, and the law uh, kept God's people in the game until the promise could be fulfilled. And these laws aren't just given to make life difficult. They serve... uh, some very specific purposes. Broadly, the law serves two purposes. One, it protects us from each other and protects us from ourselves. We have the Ten Commandments. Uh, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not covet, you shall not envy. Um, that's meant to keep us from destroying ourselves, from destroying each other. That's what the law was intended to do, to keep the community um, whole, intact. Secondly, the law was meant to separate God's people unify God's people and identify God's people. The food laws, circumcision itself, all the festivals, rituals, all those things were meant to say, these people are people that are different. These people are set apart. Uh, And these people are unified with each other. Um, So they're separate from the rest of the community and they're unified with one another. And this law had been honed and adapted and complexified and integrated to culture, Jewish culture, very, very deeply over thousands of years before Jesus came. And now you've got Paul saying, yeah, all that, yeah, doesn't matter. Uh, there's, the promise has been fulfilled, and there's a new law, there's a new justification that's been created. That justification is through Je- our belief in Jesus Christ. So if that goes out the window, you, know, you, can, you can see the, the folks who've been good Jewish men who've been raised up in the church uh, struggling with that, A, but maybe if they accept that, they're like, all right, but now, like, but, but what do we do? 
We had this law, and now we're justified by Jesus. Like, what now? Um, what do we keep? What do we leave? And, and what do we do? <laughs> like, our culture is built on this. And to me, this really gets to the heart of that question, like, what about the law? Which, which probably makes us more current to where we are today than having to worry about the 6,000 old Jewish rites, rituals, and, and customs, which is after we accept Jesus as our Savior, that's great. Um, but, but what do I, what do I do? And, and how do I make, how do I um, make that sacrifice and make that gift of grace um, worthy? How, how do I live up to that? How do I live up to that promise? How do I live up to that, that amazing gift that I can't ever repay? But, but what do I do? Uh, and that's a, that's a, a question that we struggle with today. It can't be that easy, right? To just believe in Jesus and that's it. Uh, and if, if the law doesn't apply in our case, if it doesn't lead us to righteousness, what's to stop us from doing whatever the heck we want? Uh, doesn't that make Jesus complicit with our sin? I can just say, oh, I can pull the Jesus card every time I screw up. Well, I'm, you know, I'm saved by Jesus. It doesn't matter. I'll do whatever I want. This is probably the argument that the Judaizers were also making about Paul. Uh, they, said, they had said at some point that the, the gospel he gave to the Gentiles, that was a watered-down version that was the gospel that they wanted to hear. Um, he was softening his message to gain converts. He wasn't giving them the full gospel. He wasn't giving them the full picture. He was getting them what they needed to get them over the finish line, to, to believe what they wanted to, to, to hear. Good thing we don't have to worry about anything like this today, right? When we talk about the, the early church, when we talk about our church, uh, we never compare each other. We never uh, compare about how we worship, how we, what we look like, how we vote, um, what we do outside of Sunday morning. Uh, we, we never do this, right? Ha ha. So that, that, that was the um, 15 minute, doing well. Um, five chapters in 15 minutes brings us back to where we are. Paul lays out this case for um, that we are just, that, that the, uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the original promise made to the Jewish people and that the law was intended to hold, hold God's people into that place until that promise could be fulfilled. And now we have a new identity um, and a new means of salvation through justification through Jesus Christ. Brings us back to our scripture. Let's read again from um, Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So we're free. We're not under the law. We're not... Uh, slaves to the master that the law was. Okay, I can, I can buy that. Um, but again, what do I do? Uh, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Okay, but what do I do? I know what I'm not supposed to do, but what do I do? What are we to do? Serve one another humbly in love. The entire law is summed up in one command. Love your neighbor. Uh, this is where... Uh, Paul goes, he's quoting from Deuteronomy, um, love God and love your neighbor. Remember, the, the intent of the law was twofold. First, it was to unify and identify God's people, right? Circumcision and the, the, food, um, the food laws and all those things were meant to separate God's people and identify and unify God's people. Now we have a new way of doing that, and that new way is, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died for me. 
uh, and, and rose from the dead and that he is my savior. That's how we identify God's people now. No longer by having to follow all the rites and rituals and customs that were there before. We have a new way of identifying ourselves as, as followers of Jesus Christ indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Number two, the law was intended to protect the community, uphold the community, lift up the community, um, to, to, to keep God's people safe, literally, physically safe. Uh, there's no better way of doing that than loving your neighbor. Period. Love your neighbor. But, as we know, um, we are incapable of doing this on our own. That's the whole point of why we had the law, because people are people. And people are going to people, um, which is going to destroy folks, right? Enter the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the, the desires of the flesh. So what are the acts of the flesh? Uh, this, is, uh, this is not meant to be like the, the comprehensive list of things you shouldn't do. Um, he starts with, these are obvious. You know them right? You know when you're walking by the flesh versus when you're walking by the Spirit. Here's some examples, and then at the end of that, he says, um, and the like, etc., 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 etc. Like, it's not meant to be the list, so don't read this and be like, okay, I'm okay here, I'm okay here, gotta work on that a little bit. That's just another law. That's just putting the law back up um, for us to try to justify ourselves by that. We're not going to, uh, but Paul says, you know what the acts of the flesh are. Um, you know when you're not walking by the Spirit. Here's some examples, and this is only a partial list. These things are contrary to the Spirit. In other words, they're contrary to God's character. They're contrary to God's kingdom, um, which was the entire reason that we had the, the law in the first place, to start to reflect what God's character looks like. Rather, we are to allow the Holy Spirit to live inside us, to manifest himself through us, and to bear fruit through us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So if we are allowing the Spirit to live through us, we will be in step with the law. There is no law that says we shouldn't love there is no law that says we shouldn't have patience, that we shouldn't be joyful, that we shouldn't be gentle with one another. You're never going to find us being outside of step with the intent of the law by living in that way. Conversely, there's also no law that can force us to do that. There's no law that can force me to love you. I can act nicely to you, but there's no law that can actually make me love you. Or, you know, I could tell my, my kids all day long, just love each other. Uh, I can create all kinds of structure to allow them to be peaceable with one another, but I can't force them to love. I can't force them to be kind or to be good with one another. So there is no law that can, you'll never be against uh, the law by acting in that way, but you also, there's no law that can, that can force this on you, that, that can make you love, that can make you kind, that can make you patient. Because the law doesn't deal with the heart. The law deals with the mechanics of behavior. It's robotic. It's transactional. Uh, it, it by itself can't give life. Uh, it can't make us righteous. It can't change character and bring us into alignment with God's character. So we have, you know, there's some folks that are Christians today that say, you know, I, I believe in grace. I believe I'm justified by that. But that just feels like it's the watered-down version 
uh, I, you know, I want to be a, a good, good Christian. I want to follow all these other rites and rituals and actions. That's what's going to make me actually live out this, this grace that I've been given. In reality, those 600 plus Old Testament laws, everything that we see, all that structure, that's the small version. Uh, that's, that's the way that um, when we have obedience to Jesus and the Spirit-filled life, that law, the intent of the law, gets way bigger. That's why Jesus said when he, when he said he came, to he came to fulfill the law and the commandments, and when you hear him speaking about that, he actually ratchets up the law. So he says, uh, Jesus said, it's written you shall not murder. I say don't even get mad at your brother. Uh, you, you can tell someone, don't, the commandment says don't murder, but the intent of the law is that we would love each other. The intent of the law is that we would uphold each other, that we would lift each other up, that we would manifest God's character through ourselves to our neighbors, to those that need to hear that gospel. It's a much bigger version than just don't do this, don't do that, and don't do this. Uh, it's, that's the smaller version. That's the robotic version. Because God's kingdom is a kingdom of love, of joy, and of peace, all the way down to the atomic level. Not just transactionally, not just how do we keep ourselves from destroying one another, but, but God wants it all, all of the time. And he knows that we can't do that. We can't do that in, of our, in, of, in and of ourselves, um, which is why as he's ratcheting up the standard of what the law means, he's ratcheting up the blessing. Here's the Holy Spirit. Get out of your own way uh, and let me work through you. All you have to do is abide in me and let me do the work through you. So letting go of the law is holding on to the point of the law, which is Jesus Christ. When we cling to Jesus Christ, he gives us his spirit, which brings us into harmony with the actual intent of the law, uh, which is unity and identification of God's people and the blessing of God's people and of the world. For many of us, the law is easier. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Uh, what, what are the 12 steps? What's the plan? What's the strategic plan? What's the 100-page the guide to living? Like, that's an easier thing for me to do and for me to follow. Uh, but God says that's, that's the imitation version. That's the kid version. That's the, the version that you got when you were a slave. Now you're a son. Now you're a son and a daughter. Now you're my child. Uh, and for my children, I want to make my character, my kingdom, my very essence made known through you. So, I want you to love. Not just when it's easy, but when it's hard and when you're the only one. I want you to live and share joy. When it's easy to be joyful and in the storm. I want you to be an agent of peace in a world of war. In the middle of the go, 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 me, 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 when everyone around you fails you and annoys you and uses up your last nerve, I want you to be patient with them and patient with me and wait for me and listen to my will. I want you to exude kindness and goodness at such a level that it can't help but infect everyone that comes into contact with you. I want you to be faithful in keeping in contact with me and with my people and with my word. And in a world of harshness and meanness and coldness, I want you to be gentle and warm, just as I am gentle with you. In a world of live and let live, of do what feels good and heck with the consequences, I want you to have some self-control, 
of your desires and keep your eyes on me. And you know what? You're not going to get it right all the time or even most of the time. Um, But you know what? You are enough because I am enough. You are my child. You are part of the family. And you were included in that promise that Paul talks about when he says this was the covenant that God made to his people through Abraham and his offspring, Jesus Christ. And that is enough. So churches, we think about who we are. We think about our character. As we think about our, our, our corporate character as a church, as we continue to grow in that, I want to be a church focused on that promise, not on this transactional law and, and process of com- comparison and who, who did what and when, where, and why, but on that just radical, much bigger, more beautiful, and more impactful intent of what the law was meant to do. I want to be a church that doesn't shy away from the vision, that doesn't shy away from the radical reality of what fulfillment of the law actually means, which is just to love uh, and have peace and have patience and have goodness and joyfulness with one another and with our community. Uh, Because we are free. We are free. We are sons and daughters of Christ, not slaves to the master that the law was. We know what that means. We are free. There's a broken world that needs to experience that freedom. They will see it and hear it and experience it from us, not by us browbeating them into submission to the law like the Judaizers did to the church in Galatia, but by us just getting out of our way, getting out of our own way and letting the Spirit work through us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. I think I got them all and self-control. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your, your word which tells us that we are made righteous by our belief in Jesus Christ and that our ability to live that out in our lives isn't us doing all the things that we think we can do, but rather us being quiet and listening for you and letting you work through us, Heavenly Father. And over time, that we would be made into your people more fully and more holy, uh, that we would reflect your character more often, Lord. Thank you for your word. We ask that as we move from here, as we go about our days, as we go about our weeks, that we would be focused on, on that promise, that good news, that we are free, that we are loved, and that we can be loved for others simply by following your spirit, Heavenly Father. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.